This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. Here's your host, Corey Tusick. This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Tusick. On today's episode, I interview actor Stu Stone. Stu's a buddy of mine that I met over 10 years ago on a movie we worked together. And we've worked on a couple more together since then. But Stu, I brought on because he made a documentary called The Jack of All Trades. The Jack of All Trades is about baseball cards. And he collected a bunch of them. It was his family business growing up. And he had these baseball cards that he had saved and saved for years, hoping that they would make him rich uh, someday and make him, make him a fortune. And when he went to sell them, they were worthless. And it turns out that tops and upper deck and all the baseball card companies had overprinted all of their baseball cards and some they made them worthless because they were no longer rare and they were no longer scarce uh so i thought you know if you're a bitcoiner you obviously understand the connection there um because it's uh, some similarities to how the money printer in uh the united states and all other countries is going crazy right now and devaluing our dollar um so I had Stu on to kind of talk about the similarities there. He does own some Bitcoin, but uh, doesn't, you know, really probably know it as well. You know, he even admits, you know, he's like, I don't know it super well. And it was fun because he got to grill me about Bitcoin and ask questions to try and learn more about it. And I did the best I could to answer them. I'm sure there's experts that are going to listen to this and be like, wow, you totally butchered some of these answers but i did the best i could so um you know i was trying to relate it to him you know just a friend to friend and he had also um some stories to share we talked about you know what it was like growing up being a child actor uh he was the voice of ralphie on the magic school bus and uh, some char- a character in the show babar and a bunch of other shows uh you know he was on the tv show uh beverly hills 90210 he was in the movie Donnie Darko, kicking it old school and some other stuff. So we talked about those things and, you know, give him, he gave some behind the scenes, you know, stories of what it was like. Uh, then also what it was like to go out in, to L.A. Uh, he was roommates with Devin Sawa and, and Phil Glasser. And, and they kind of, you know, had a lot of fun for 18 year olds that uh, that had an apartment and freedom for the first time out in L.A. with a little bit of mo- money in their pockets. So got into all that and it was good to chat with him i hope you guys enjoy this episode the audio occasionally gets a little rough just as our zoom connection i think was a little off so i apologize for that but i mean it's still you can hear everything and then also my my kids jump in at some point towards the end and uh join the interview for a little bit you can follow Stu online um on twitter at Stu stone that's s-t-u-s-t-o-n-e you can see updates there he's making new movies as well but he's also working on a documentary with uh vice and the documentary is called the dark side of the ring talking about the dark side of pro wrestling and wwe and all that kind of stuff and if you want to get in touch with me the show uh twitter handle is at bitcoin simply and the email is bitcoin made simple podcast at gmail.com i hope you enjoy the show um but, right, my uh, background is uh, luxurious here, but I'm in an Airbnb right now. Oh, where are you at? I'm quarantining in Canada. Like, when you cross the border to come back into Canada, they make you quarantine for 14 days. Oh, uh, so you just grabbed an Airbnb and... Just in here for 14 days. By yourself. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> were, were you filming down in the States then? Yeah, I was filming uh, 
I've been working on Dark Side of the Ring, the series for Vice. Mm-hmm. It's a, a wrestling docu series, uh, season three now they're doing. So I was working on that and uh, just came back to Toronto and now I'm in quarantine. Nice, nice. Why well, I, I last I haven't seen you since last time I saw you was pre pandemania. Um, do you remember where where was we were at a oh. Blue Jays game? Oh, that's so funny. I was there for the Toronto uh, the International Film Festival, and uh, and it was like I was getting a hot dog with like my son, my oldest, and he was like I don't know, three or four at the time, and um and I was just sitting there at the checkout, and I was like Stu Stone. Like I mean, I know you're from Toronto, but I was just like. It was hilarious of all places to see you at a, a Blue Jays game. Well, funny. Mean, it makes sense for me to be there more than you. Oh yeah, way more sense. It was like I was like I'm in. You're, like I was confused as to why you were there, and you were probably like, "What are you doing here?" Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, the um, so the funny thing was then after that during the pan- beginning of the pandemic, my son started watching uh, Magic School Bus. Oh, that's funny. Like not the new one, the, no, the, the real one. Yeah, yeah, the real one. Yeah. And so he'd been he was watching it for like a month or so, you know, and like really getting into it. And and then I was like, wait, I was like, dude, the you know Ralphie in the show. That's funny. And he's like, yeah, because well, the I, I should back up. So him and I, he wanted to. He came to me. He knows what daddy does for a living. He said, I want to make an animated show that like teaches kids stuff. And he said that when he was four. I was like that's awesome. Let's do it. Um, so we're in the process. We're actually producing like an animated cartoon and he's going to do the voice and oh, wow. all that kind of stuff. That's um, really cool. Yeah. So we're in the early stages of, of talking about that. And then he starts watching magic school bus and I'm like, wait a minute, that Stu is the voice of Ralphie. Yeah. You let me know if you need a voice for your son's cartoon. I'm Ralphie's ready, baby. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so funny. I'm sitting there, I, you know, like he could like, I mean, he's been to every film festival around the world. Like he's traveled the world and it's funny. The things that blow him away. Like, and, and I said to him, I said, you remember that guy we met at the blue Jays game and he's thinking about it and he goes, yeah, yeah. You know, like he's got great memory. And he's like, when we were getting food. Yeah. I said, that guy did the voice of Ralphie. And he looked at me like, <laughs> it's just like, Oh my God. You know? That's um, great. So yeah. Where, so where that, are you now? I'm still in Pittsburgh. Yeah, um, I was just in Pittsburgh. Really? What I was were you literally doing I was doing interviews for that show. Uh, no way. Yeah. With who? Uh, with uh, in Pittsburgh, we spoke to uh, one of the WWE's like legal, like their legal team is all in Pittsburgh. So we uh, we were out there talking to them. I can't. I, I wish I could tell you. <laughs> yeah, you can't say more. But I can't um, say more. But I was doing interviews in Pittsburgh, and it was way different from the last time I was there because it was completely like shut down. But it yeah. looks like things are starting to come back there. I, you know, felt good to be back there, but I definitely like couldn't visit any. Like, there's nothing to do. You can't go do yeah. anything. Yeah, you're just stuck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're we're starting to open back up. We went to we went to a pirate game um, like a week or so ago. How was um, that? It was awesome. It was like therapeutic, you know. What I mean, just to to be out in like society, um, and you know, it was just he loves baseball. Like the Blue Jays are his second favorite team. That's good. That's good. And, and so we watch. We have the MLB package, so we watch the Pirates and we watch the Blue Jays. Um, well, the Jays have a good team this year. So, man. And Lots I love young talent. Vladdy, uh, Vladdy, Bobachet, 
Uh, uh, George did Springer. You, did you see that guy that caught Bo Bichette's home run? Yeah, yeah it was that amazing. Was crazy. Like, and um, he was live on his Instagram. That's nuts. I hope so I wanted to him. I wanted to go to the casino because I had made a killing there last time I was in Pittsburgh. Oh but, yeah, yeah, that's that right. We were frequenting uh those were you were with uh, Crosby's dad, right? Oh now see, like nobody believes me on that story. <laughs> I've told a couple of people before, but like, oh yeah, like my buddy was um taking a piss next to Crosby's dad and he's, he's like, like, How do I do? I was like, how do you I was like, how do you know that? He's like, I'm Sidney Crosby's dad. <laughs> <laughs> that was wild we, we had a couple drinks um at a, the bar was called bossa nova oh yeah yeah i remember that place that place uh, I don't think it exists anymore no no that place um they had a rap party for whenever i was a low man on the totem pole working on uh the movie unstoppable they had a big rap party there and um and it's where i because i i tease my wife about it because uh rosario dawson and i like struck up like a friendship you know i was just like she obviously could tell that i didn't like give a shit about being a pa and like didn't want to follow the rules so she was like cool with it and um and so her and i like hung out that whole night because it was like the first time since she'd been on, been on set that it was like an un- informal thing and there was like a photo booth so we have all these i have these photo booth strips of me and her like hanging out and stuff and uh That's and so, so my funny. wife gives me a hard time she's like you know like name dropping she'll be like Oh, you know, like there's Ro- there's your friend Rosie. You know, if we see her in like a movie or something, she's like, "Oh, there's your friend." You know, like, why don't you text her? You guys are best friends. Um, I think when we were there working, Tom Cruise was shooting. Uh, I want to say Jack Reacher. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he was, and he, and he was cruising went, around town. Yeah, he was. No, no I, I saw him. Around. I was in a room with him. He it was yeah. like uh, pretty wild. And then they were shooting Batman another time when I was there. Yep. yep. Yeah, I was. I worked on that good. one just to be in Gotham. That was, uh, but the, and you like, know, they did all the they did all the car the the like Batmobile stuff in downtown, right? Yep. Yeah, like the whole final like chase scene, and then like and, and then they did the football the game. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, uh, you know it's funny. So you remember on it was called sibling, but yep. changed to a resurrection. Um, uh, I, I make that face because that's the competition in the distribution world that I deal with. Do you know why it was changed to a resurrection from sibling? So the title no. was for those listening, the title of this movie was originally called sibling and it was changed to a resurrection because the letter, I don't want to put anybody on blast, but they just, they said, it'll make more money if you put the letter a at the beginning, because it'll be at the top of the VOD library on like cable. And did it work and, out? No, because when it went out, when it when they put it in, they put resurrection first, comma A. Yeah. So it landed down in the R's. Resurrection A is not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's a Canadian version. Exactly. Um, but uh, so you remember um, the great Michael so you, Clark Duncan. Oh, rest in peace. Nice man, and his Dude, girlfriend was, at the time, Amorosa, was running around the set. Yeah, he was. He was one of the nicest guys we've ever worked with. Um, That's so cool. And, uh, and then, uh, so your, your buddy, uh, Devin Sawa, um, was on that. And my wife is, this is another funny story. I tell people all the time, my wife, she told me, you know, like at one point, uh, she goes, oh yeah. Like whenever, what movie was it? The little giants Yeah, he was in. And she was like, I had the biggest crush on him from the little giants and Casper, you know, like when she was like 10 years old or whatever. Yeah, We all did. Yeah. And so I, I told him that like, 
on set like i was just like like shooting the breeze with them and like i just mentioned i was like oh dude this is hilarious by the way she had like the biggest crush on you when i told her that night that i said that she was like oh my god no you didn't like she like turned into like the 10 year old version of herself she's like please oh my god no was, like, we all turn into the 10 year old version of ourselves around Devin, so that makes sense well if you if you guys want to get a sign did you get a signed picture i should have i should have <laughs> like, dropped the ball there you um if if you uh i don't know if he's i have i i'm off of facebook so but i used to see all the time like you was it you him and his wife would go out and like he was always like making fun of the fact that you were like by yourself like there was some kind of some kind of booth or something it was like a two-seater on the one side and a one-seater on the other side is he still is he still active on facebook he's still active but uh not he's not uh, <laughs> i think he's moved on from that content yeah yeah um but uh but anyway so yeah about uh, all that so you're doing a wwe movie um and i'll lead i'll i'll just give some highlights to the listeners so this is um stew stone who he was in clifford babar donnie darko are you afraid of the dark the magic school bus sorority board boys kicking it old school and about a hundred other things you got like a really impressive resume um, if you go on IMDb and look at it, like and hey, you'll have to legit, hire me for something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the legit IMDb resume. Cause like all that stuff was before IMDb. So you, it's not like you were one of those people that's an extra now and just goes on and throws their name on a bunch of things. Yeah. I don't do um, that. You actually, uh, you know, have an, unnamed, I actually have to work for those credits. Yeah. Yeah. And not that uh, they it, didn't have to work, but different kind of work, I guess. Different kind of work. Yeah. But, uh, and then one of the most recent things is Jack of all trades. Um, yes so jack of all trades uh give a little lowdown for everybody is a movie about that uh i guess Stu can give us the background but uh, it's about baseball cards and i thought that was relevant to the bitcoin conversation just because we see the money printer um with the central banks uh kind of printing money like crazy and uh and you kind of saw something similar right so like uh, yeah i guess start with the background of how you came up Sure. The idea of coming up with a baseball card documentary. Sure. Uh, well, when I was a kid, uh, our family business was baseball cards. Uh, my father and mother ran uh, a chain of baseball card shops in the late 80s, early 90s called Sluggers. There was 11 locations across the uh, you know, Toronto area and surrounding areas. Uh, there was one in Ottawa. There was, you know, there's a one in London, Ontario. But basically it was a, a chain store that sold baseball cards, hockey cards, basketball cards, uh, everything cards. And so that was my life. My life was cards. I used to go to the store. I collected. I went to card shows. I was like all in the craze of baseball cards. And anybody who's of a certain age, which I would say would be between like 35 and 55 and maybe even older, uh, they were around for that baseball card at first push in the late 80s, early 90s. Then they were probably caught up in it too. It was a pop cultural phenomenon and uh, you know, before the internet and uh, all, you know, video games and cell phones and all these things came to be uh, when life was much more simple, a baseball card collecting consumed uh, so many uh, children and like-minded adults who were trying to make money. And uh, of course uh, there was a bubble that popped eventually. And uh, my dad got out of the business and uh, I sort of, you know, cards sort of were sort of a scar for me. And I didn't really pay attention to cards anymore after that. 
And uh, many, many years later, 25 years later, fast forward to uh, I all these boxes were found in my grandfather's basement after he passed away. <clears throat> and uh, I knew inside those boxes had to be my collection of cards that I'd put away. And I remember my father telling me, you know, put these away someday, you know, 20 years from now, these will be worth something. And 20 years had passed. And so I decided, Hey, we should film me going through these boxes and I'll try to sell the cards and we can like film me getting rich. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I went to go sell the cards, I was offered like 40 bucks for the whole collection. And it sort of sparked an entire movie on like, what the hell happened there? Um, there of course, there's a personal sort of story in the movie as well with regards to my father, but uh, you'll have to watch the movie, I guess, to sort of dive deeper to that. But the funny thing is, is that um, after the movie came out on Netflix, cards became popular again. <laughs> and now all the cards that were worthless are now selling for like, you know, 100x <laughs> like uh, the market went absolutely insane so so much so that i'm actually working on getting a, a sequel together to sort of show like what the hell is happening here um but uh definitely there was stuff going on in the 90s that caused that original sort of bubble to pop and we investigated that uh, a little bit in the movie um mm-hmm. definitely we could have gone deeper but um the movie ends up sort of taking a detour in the storytelling at a certain point, And it sort of ends up becoming sort of about my, myself and my father and our sort of broken relationship that we had that uh, uh, is definitely chronicled in this film. Um, so yeah, a couple things happened after the movie came out on Netflix was that the baseball card market came back huge and bigger than it ever has been. And, and also my father passed away, unfortunately. So it's a really um, sort of a, I'm conflicted on how I feel about all of this stuff, but definitely like a, a personal experience that is unlike any other I've ever had uh, as far as like making a film and seeing what the aftermath of a film can, can do and have. So, yeah. Yeah. I, and I got to say on the, the personal side of the story, you know, cause like I was not prepared for that whenever I went to watch it, you know, I was like, Oh, here's Stu's movie. I got to check it out, you know, like, throw on this baseball card documentary gonna be nice like light watching yeah and then like by the end i'm sitting there like you know like i was like who's cutting onions in here like i'm not, yeah. I'm not crying you're crying uh oh, it's and, a, um, it's, it turns out to be a pretty powerful piece and um listen man i went through this stuff as a child with my father and it turned out that it wasn't such a unique experience uh just you know after it went on netflix and millions of people how to a platform to watch the movie on. And they did. Uh, I was definitely like hit up by all sorts of people. I would say in the thousands that were writing me that they went through the same thing I did and uh, how uh, cathartic it was for them to like watch the movie and, and see that they weren't alone. Yeah. I mean, to me, it was like, wow, this is not what I was expecting. Um, But uh, yeah, the movie's really, really cool. And listen, the card market has exploded, but like nothing, the facts haven't changed. On yeah. the printing runs have not changed since that movie came out. So it's just a whole new explosion. Um, it's, it's like a perfect a, storm. A, Lightning a bu- a bottle. A yeah. Well, it's a definitely a bubble. Again, everything is a bubble in this world, yeah. but uh, you know, I think it's a perfect combination of timing. Like the movie came out on Netflix. People watched it and remembered their cards. Gary V is like pumping out cards uh, you know, there's a pandemic and people are at home and they're not spending money going on vacations and going to restaurants anymore. And they have money to burn and they're stuck at home going through their closets and they want to buy cards again. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same thing. 
that's happening now that happened back in the in the 80s. In the 80s, our parents were finding their Mickey Mantle cards in their closets and they were getting $5,000 for them. And then it started a craze and people were speculating that, oh, if Mickey Mantle's card is worth $30,000, well, Don Mattingly, he's going to he's on the Yankees. He's going to be the next Mickey Mantle. We got to buy his rookie card. And then it became like a speculative market of like rookie cards and, you know, people. It wasn't like this innocent thing of kids playing with their toys anymore. It became a thing where it became <laughs> a business. Yeah, where grownups are coming in and get it, buying the packs and putting the cards in a plastic. Comic books, there's so many parallels to make here, buddy. But the main thing is that like once people start, once like collecting something becomes popular, it's over. <laughs> like yeah. every, it's not rare anymore. Like everybody who got a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card in a pack of upper deck cards in 1989, nobody threw that in the garbage. Everybody put it in a hard plastic and put it in a box or they bought Spider-Man comics and put it in a thing with, the, you know, the Mickey Mantle card was rare because people didn't save it like that. Yeah, there wasn't yeah. mint condition Mickey Mantles, not to mention the fact that Tops dumped, you know, hundreds of thousands of cards in the ocean because they couldn't sell them and the card has an actual scarcity to it. So listen, it's a really weird world out there, but like, you know, scarcity is a marketing thing, I guess. I don't know. But like they, you know, are diamonds scarce? I mean, everybody's got a diamond. Like yeah. look around. Every single human being on the planet has like a diamond ring, a diamond watch, a diamond. Everybody's got diamonds. So are they rare? Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah, it's the, the same thing. It's the, like they're, it's, as, they're as rare as they want you to think they are. Right. And like something is worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it, basically. And yep. if you can find somebody to buy a Griffey Jr. rookie for 100 or a diamond for 100, it's the same thing. Now, you talk about Bitcoin and the comparisons to baseball cards. I mean, yeah, I could see a lot of comparisons, both good and bad. I mean, mm-hmm. just playing devil's advocate here. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's definitely like a potential bubble of, of, of new money that's come into Bitcoin that's not an informed investor and people that have FOMO that want to, they see the Lambo guys on Twitter and they're like, they want the Lambos. So they'll throw 5,000 at it, 10,000 at it. And, you know, it's the same sort of thing with baseball cards. The difference is I can hold a baseball card in my hand. The yeah. second, the, the, the other thing is you talk about like, you know, baseball card companies were just printing cards and printing and printing and printing. And the scarcity of the cards went down and the supply is more than the demand. I mean, you talk about the dollar printing, but there is a difference because baseball cards are not a currency. Yeah. Uh, baseball cards are a collectible. They are, they're, they're not a currency. They're not, you know, there is value to them, but you can't go into a store and give somebody uh, 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 Barry Larkin rookie card and get a sandwich. Like yeah. unless, <laughs> unless you're at like a Barry Larkin fan sandwich shop. Uh, well, I did. I did. I did sell somebody my skateboard as a kid for a Mario Lemieux rookie card. That's good. That if you still have that Mario, it's that's worth a fortune. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I have it. Um, and in, in the, I remember the kid thinking that I was getting ripped off. I was like, I was young enough to like, I guess you could think I was an idiot, but I was like, oh, I mean, I just wanted the card really, but I was like, I'm pretty sure this rookie card is going to be worth more than the skateboard, but here you right. go. I mean, but I yeah, think I mean, like, but also like get Bit- a Barry Larkin card for a tuna sandwich, you know? No, but, but I think like Bitcoin is interesting because, you know, it is supposed to be a currency, but mm-hmm. It's not really used as a currency at the moment. I mean, it is, I guess, little yeah, bits here and there. Like you can, too, but like, like I can buy a Tesla. I can buy a few things with it. I can go to a couple like bank machine ATM kind of things, and 
I suppose there's starting to be some adoption there, but most of the people that are in it are in it to make money. Oh, yeah. And so that kind of, that confuses me because this is supposed to be something that's better than the dollar and it's supposed to replace the dollar, yet people are in it to make more dollars. And so I don't understand that part of it. That part is sort of an oxymoron to me. Yeah. Can you that explain part, that maybe? Yeah, yeah. So that part is what was confusing for me at the beginning. Um, and there was a, a, uh, a transition in my mental thinking whenever I, when I initially put money in, and I thought like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll see, like, I'll follow these traders. And when it goes up in dollar value, I'll sell it. And then when it drops down, I'll buy again, you know, and I thought I'd buy these, you know, like just keep trading. And, and then whenever I, um, I noticed I did it only a couple of times and I started to like worry that I was going to have less Bitcoin than Bitcoin. I was going to have, it wasn't so much dollars and so much. And, um, and so I was, that was the transition for me where I was like, oh, I have less Bitcoin and I don't want to have less Bitcoin. And, uh, and then somebody else. So the people that are really, there's a lot of people, you're right that, and they're really probably into like just the crypto exchange and, you know, all the different currencies they're chasing fiat dollars. You know, they're, they're right. like, look how many, that doesn't make sense. and, but the yeah, people like, that are mentally, the people that are, Oh, you good? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, but the, uh, the, the people that really get it and like are really driving this thing forward is the, the main, they understand the main point of Bitcoin. And that is that it's a, you know, a store of value that can't be tampered with. It's decentralized, all those things. And what I've had people explain to me is they said, you know, you come into Bitcoin for the number go up where you see like, oh, you know, my dollars are going up, but then you stay around for seeing the number go down in terms of how much stuff costs per Bitcoin, you know? So like, you know, you could, what you could have spent 10 Bitcoin on, you know, five years ago would right now maybe cost you like a quarter of a Bitcoin. And, you know, it, it's, so if you have your yeah, money, there's you know, volatility. Yeah, like there's the story. There's the story of the guy that like bought a pizza for like a bitcoin, and like so that's like a sixty thousand dollar pizza. No, he bought it for it was a the first transaction. I think it was ten thousand bitcoin. Um, he bought a Papa John's pizza, and let me do the math. Based yeah. on today's, <laughs> on today's, it's not gonna be pretty. Uh, five hundred forty million dollars is what he spent on that pizza. If it was in today's, it was 10,000 Bitcoin. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, there is volatility, but like, you know, over time, I mean, we li we're living in this inflationary world where like the prices for everything. Keep inflation never goes. Up. Inflation doesn't go up like 5,000 X in, well, no, in a no, 20 year period. I'm not talking about inflation. Inflation is the prices of stuff that is bringing in. That is going up and up and up and it's robbing you of your savings. You know, ten. If you kept ten thousand dollars in the bank for, uh, from ten years ago, it would buy you ten. It would buy you a lot less money or a lot less purchasing power today than it would ten years ago. Right. So if but yeah. if, you had, if you put it in, so it's an inflationary. Um, it's a hedge against inflation, which is what I like about it because if you're gonna, you know, sit on cash, uh, it's just gonna keep losing value because they're gonna keep raising prices. They're gonna be keep printing money. Um, you know, and 
and no. for example, you know, with the, example, get back you know, the baseball get cards, back to the bank. like, aren't there some of them where they, some of the new ones where they're purposefully putting out like a limited supply, which would be like what Bitcoin is, because there's only going to be 21 million. So yeah, it's yeah. I mean, there's basically they do like these. They try to create scarcity in the product now so like they'll have cards that are autographed there's cards it's a whole different world the cards are autographed they have pieces of the jerseys in them they're numbered so like a one of five or one of one like those are worth more because it's like a one of one but they but they also like there's funny ways that they do they do that because like a one of one in every color <laughs> like they like yeah. they'll find a way to still make the same amount of cards it's just like that one of one has a signature and it's a green card this one of one is like yellow this one of one is blue but there's still still like 5000 variants of that one of one but yes yes there is definitely you know they're playing into the whole the, the the baseball cards are are created to be scarce now whereas in the old days that wasn't the case so they're you know, definitely going to market with that idea. And of course, grading cards became a thing. And so that's a way to take, you know, the old cards that are overprinted and like now you get a graded. And so now your card's a 10 out of 10. That's rare because there's only a hundred, you know, 10 out of 10s out of the million that are mm-hmm. out there. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Like the Bitcoin thing is a little bit confusing to a lot of people obviously but there are people who get it and they're cashing in but again like i'll i still kind of want to go back to that original question which was like is it a currency or is this or is it or are you gambling are you trying to make more fiat the thing that you're against you're trying to make more of to me and i think to a lot of the the core people is that it's not um you're not trying to make more fiat dollars um you're trying to increase your purchasing power um And so what you, what does that mean? So it means, you know, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to, so last year, Bitcoin was at uh, like $8,000, 6,000, somewhere around there. So it's grown 10 X. So one Bitcoin in the spring of last year could buy you, you know, I mean, like get you like a nice vacation. Whereas one Bitcoin now, if you just held that Bitcoin, you could buy a lot more with it. Um, and so it, it's not about the it's not about the value in dollars. It's about what somebody is willing to give you for it. So like you said, you could buy a Tesla for it for that one Bitcoin now. Um, it's going to be volatile. It's going to change. But there are already um, some, you know, uh, there's this lightning network that's creating a payment system um so there are people that are adopting it and then like the mayor of miami is all in and he's like yeah this is the way of the future like um, future so i think uh, that the the currency part's gonna come but the best way somebody explained it to me is that bitcoin is like the protocol layer of what um what the internet is so like the internet there's only one internet that you go to and it's tcpip but like it's like you cho- you you might go on to Safari browser or Internet Explorer, and that's a layer on top. So these payment layers are going to get built on top of Bitcoin. And they basically do instant settlements just like Visa does. Because, I mean, with the with the banks and everything, they're just sending digital money back and forth and settling like days later. You know, like Visa just does all these transactions and, and your 
even though you paid for it and it shows up in the bank, you know, right then and there, it's technically not there for like three to five days. Um, and even then it's just a ledger system and they're just typing numbers in. Um, so yeah. So, and also the other thing that a lot of us believe in with Bitcoin is that it's, it's saving, it's saving the middle class from getting robbed by like politicians and central bankers because the more money they print the more they push inflation the less valuable your savings become so it's like a hidden tax on the middle class and it's just crushing them um like if you look at there's this great website then i interviewed these guys it's called wtf happened in 1971 um and that's whenever the u.s took everybody off the gold standard and Ever since then, like the wealth gap has just skyrocketed and um, like divorce rates, like all these things, like it's just like life has generally gotten worse since we got off the gold standard and it's been crushing the middle class, which is, you know, the majority, like it's been helping the elites. Like what is the thing that Bitcoin's value is measured on? Isn't it measured on the same, it's measured against the dollar that you're, isn't it? For now, it is. Like when I go look up the Bitcoin price, it's like it tells me it's worth sixty thousand dollars USD. Like, yeah, that's what it's traded on. So it's still traded on the value of whatever the dollar is, isn't it? Yeah, but eventually, I'm just like I'm getting an education from you here. You know, I'm just asking the questions that people who would ask that don't know. No, no, that's what, and I'm I'm hoping to give the like Neanderthal version of Bitcoin explanation so that like the average person can get it. Um, so there's probably some like really smart people that are like, you're explaining this wrong. Um, I'm trying to, you know, bring it down to the level that I understand it. But so, um, so yeah, so it, right now it is measured in dollars, but eventually that will change. Um, and what will be measured on? Just how many, how much Bitcoin you have. It'll be, the, the Bitcoin can be broken down into, um, hundred million places. Um, and then there's arguments you can even break it down like infinitely beyond that, but there's only 21 million that will ever exist. And is 21 million a rare thing? Like if there was 21 million Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards, would that be a good card? Well, if, it, if the entire world is operating on that currency, right. Then one, I think they, the um, one of the original uh, people that was running it, he he even figured then he nailed it. He said, it's not a currency yet. There has to be layers on top of it to be able to transact at a higher volume. Um, But he said, as far as the value goes, if the entire world total value was divided by 21 million, like one coin would be like, I think it was like $10 million or something like that. Um, But is there a scenario where the whole world will be using Bitcoin as it's, as, is that what you're predicting? Is that like what you're hedging on or betting on? Is that like someday the global economy will only run on Bitcoin? Yeah, eventually it will. Because at this point, so what it's what they've done is they've been printing money. Um, this is what made me go all in. So in 2008, you know, they did the they did the um, they had the financial yeah. crisis. And yeah. that's when um, that's when Bitcoin was launched. And they started, they bailed out all the banks by just literally creating new dollars. Um, and so last spring, you know, I, had, I, this is what made me go all in. I, I see they're about to print money because of COVID. And I was like, well, you can't just add new money to the system without affecting its value. Like that's a really bad idea to just print cash. 
Um, I was like, so I'm going to get into Bitcoin. And then I learned that they'd been printing ever since 2008 and nobody knew about it. It's this thing called quantitative easing where they just keep injecting new dollars into the system to keep the markets afloat. So basically, I think it was between 2000. Doesn't that sound a lot like Bitcoin to you? <laughs> like, isn't that the whole tether Bitcoin thing? No, 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 because no, Bitcoin, you can't change the amount. You can't, you can't add new Bitcoin in. Right. So with, with the USD, they have, um, with, the, with the US dollar, they, uh, as of 2020 in the spring before COVID, like 20 to 25% of dollars that were in circulation didn't exist before 2008. And then they started printing even more because they had to prop the markets up specifically because of COVID. And now they're on this never ending printing spree. So like at this point, 50% of the dollars in circulation did not exist before 2008. Okay. So the two incidents that you're speaking of, one of them was the economy, which would have the collapse of the economy in 2008. The other one is COVID, which is another kind of potential collapse for an economy, obviously a world economy. Mm-hmm. But uh, if they didn't print the money, what would have happened? Like, wouldn't the U.S. have gone bankrupt? Well, that's the thing is that I think they've backed themselves into a corner where they kind of had to do it. Like it's they've been kicking the can down the road for years. It's been poor monetary and fiscal response, like responsibility for decades. Um, and especially ever since they went off the gold standard, as far as I understand it, it's basically been mismanaged. They keep kicking the can down the road. And I remember in 2008 kind of realizing that, like reading about like, okay, Bush, you know, uh, they were like, Hey, let's bail out the banks. And they just kicked the can down the road. And I was like, Oh man, we're going to pay for that someday. Um, and now what happens if they didn't bail out the banks, that's what I'm trying to ask. Like what would happen? I mean, there would be a, there would be a painful period and there'd probably be a depression. I would yeah, so like, don't you think that they had no choice but to do that? That's what I mean. They put themselves into this position where they had to because they printed. I mean, they've been printing money since 1971, but it's just it has to over time keep ramping up. So if you look at the money supply, like the number of U.S. dollars in circulation just kept going up and up and up and up. And then and it's Can just they destroy any of it. No, because that's what it's not even the cash. It's just it's all digital dollars. It's all it's right. all on a ledger system. Sure. So right. So they yeah, they don't destroy it. Like they might they take dollar bills off the uh, you know out of circulation and burn it, um, you know, and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so what they have been doing is just been increasing the money supply, and in Bitcoin is basically this thing that will absorb all of the capital because people who have money don't want it to lose value. And so there, you know, that's why Elon Musk bought $1.5 billion worth um, because he was like, whoa, if I just sit here and keep this 1.5 billion in cash, it's going to lose, you know, 30% of its value in a year. Whereas if I put that in Bitcoin, it might be volatile day to day, but like over the long term, it's, it's, it's only going to go be more finite because there's less and less of it available as time goes on. Um, So they, uh, so yeah, so the, that's why, you know, it is priced in dollars at the moment. And like you said, it would, I think it would 
personally, I think it would have been, you know, kind of like catastrophic to not bail out the banks. Um, they didn't have a solution to get out of their system, but it's also kind of like their own Ponzi scheme. So at this point, to me, Bitcoin is like the safest and like least violent, least violent way for them to get out of the mess they've created. And, and it's, it's not going to really be to the benefit of the countries and everything like that, but it's going to be the, to the benefit of the average human. I have a few questions based on what you just said. And I, I definitely think that, that you, that's very good insight that like definitely explains your, your stance a lot better to me. Uh, I have a couple questions though for you on this, and I'm not. Right, I love it. I'm not painting you as like you're the Bitcoin, and I'm asking you know you're. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, no. I love this. I love. I love actually having the tables turned on the on me and taking the questions. <laughs> this is fun. So well, I mean, I think like my okay. Question number one: Bitcoin is supposed to replace what? The U.S. Uh, the currency system. Yeah, we'll call it the U.S. dollar for the sake yeah. of. So, what do you use to get Bitcoin? use the current dollars yes and then when you want to cash in your bitcoins because they went up like what do you get back for them that's the thing you you don't cash them in so people just don't like hold so isn't that go back to the baseball card theory of like my dad telling me to hold and don't sell and then they can keep money coming in and people if everybody's waiting 20 years to 20 years never comes or by the time it comes everybody's left like "Eh." like is that gonna happen here it won't happen with Bitcoin because Bitcoin will. Um, so there's protection against that because there, yeah, it's a hard cap of 21 million that will ever exist. So yeah, let me explain that too for you if you don't know. So there's 21 million that will ever exist, and every 10. You minutes, know that you know that because it's in the code. It's a right. it's a decentralized computer code running on all these different computers, and nobody can change it. Okay. So it's 21 million that will ever exist. And it, the issuance schedule um, is going to take, like right now there's 18, close to 19 million in circulation. The other two and a half million Bitcoin will be um, entered into the economy until like 2140, like that year to 2140. Um, so it's the supply is lessening as time goes on. It's built into the program. Every four years, um, the supply gets cut in half and it keeps getting smaller and smaller. So let's say with baseball cards, if, you know, you had, say, you know, your dad got in at the ground floor and it was like, look, the entire, I mean, we won't say 21 million Griffey cards because, you know, that wouldn't be valuable and people aren't going to transact them. But let's just say it was like there were 20, there were going to be uh you know, 200, uh, 210 uh, Ken Griffey cards. And at the beginning, your dad got like 30 of them, you know, and you're like, holy crap, like I got 30 of them. Like these are valuable. And it's like, there's only going to be 210 that ever exist. And like next year, there's only gonna be 15. And the year after that, there's only gonna be like seven and a half. And it'll keep going that way all the way down to there's 210 total. So by that time, your value will have gone through the roof. On the- where is the 200? Where are the missing like 200? Where Like if I have 30 of them, where's the other 180 of them? Where, how do I get those? I have to like mine for them. Well, yeah, you would. Yeah. In the, in Bitcoin, you would mine for them. So that's so like, I'd have to go buy cases of cards and just keep opening up packs till I get the Griffey. Yeah. 
and it would get so, more expensive because the issuance schedule gets smaller and smaller. So like right off the beginning, like, you know, they had like, let's say, let's say there was, you know, you buy a box of cards and there's, you know, 200 cards in it. And you maybe had like, uh, a, you probably guaranteed maybe to get one Griffey in that box of 200. So it was like, you bought a box of cards for $5 and right. so, there so, so Griffey in there. If I'm mining for Griffey's, if I'm mining for Griffey's then who makes the money when I'm mining for Griffey's? Who makes all the money? Well, the in this scenario, the the your the, whoever you're buying the cards from, the baseball card companies are making. It, this is different because they you're paying for electricity to mine Bitcoin, so that's so the only cost. So is electricity the is upper deck is electricity and finding the Bitcoin is getting a Griffey Junior. Does everybody who mines get a Bitcoin? Like, can I mine and get nothing? Um, it's basically at pure random chance but it i mean it it equals out so that people that mine you know they look at it as like say it's gonna they're gonna have like three thousand dollars in electricity costs but they'll get like four to five thousand dollars worth of bitcoin and how and so you're gonna when you like when you mine you don't just like hit a bitcoin you hit like one one hundredth of a bitcoin depends some people yeah if you're in a part of like a mining pool how does that work big yeah how does it work like it's just so confusing how does it work and so i set up i set i set up my computers and they're like trying to find like one fraction of that griffey junior they're what they're doing is solving the algorithm that um will solidify the blockchain the the next block in the chain of transactions that happen and that algorithm gets harder the more computers are trying to figure it out so the more say say you have a bunch of computers that are trying to find that box of cards that has one Griffey in it. How does that work? Like, what are they looking for? It's like somewhere in the deep web. There's like numbers going. Like, how does how does that work? It's a it's a as far as I understand, it's a it's a math equation. You know, an algorithm. Like, are you on some website trying to answer a math equation? Like, how? Where do you it's, mind? It's all the computers um, connected together talking to each other. And where are they mining it from? Like some magical place? No, on the computer. It's like I'm, the right. So is it through the internet? Yeah. So where is there like a web? Is there like a, a, a sandbox that they're all digging in that everybody's digging I in? I think the sandbox that they're digging in is basically the original code. I'm so confused. <laughs> I, and dude, don't trust me. I'm like a little out of my element with understanding the code part of it. So people are listening to this will be like, what the hell? Yeah, I'm trying to understand. So it's like, if I want to mine a Bitcoin, I get a bunch of computers to talk to each other and they're all trying to find this mathematical code that like, if you get the code right, you're going to be rewarded with like a little, here's a little something well, you for would, you. So if you get the, if you solve the block right now, the reward, it happens every 10 minutes roughly. And you get, um, Right now you get, was it 6.25 or 6.5 Bitcoin or something like that, 6.25. And then in about three years from now, that will get reduced down to like 3.75 or something like that. It keeps getting halved and, and smaller and smaller. So that's what I was saying. So look at it this way. So with the Griffey baseball card, like I said, if, if you... So it's like digital gold. That's exactly what it is. Digital gold. So what's digital. better? What's better, digital gold or physical gold? Digital, because you can transport it. Right. You can transport it. You can teleport it around the world. Because physical gold's great for store of value, scarcity, um, 
and uh, where uh, there's a certain number of properties of money. Um, I'll send you this guy, Robert Breedlove. Um, he, he breaks it down really good. Um, but there's like five values of money and one of them is portability, but you can't really transport large amounts of gold very easily. Um, whereas with the, with, uh, with Bitcoin, you can send it anywhere instantly. And like, there's a, not that I condone the person that is in jail or whatever they did. I don't even know. There was this guy somewhere in Europe who like got arrested and they took him to jail and they said, Oh, we have your Bitcoin. Um, and it was like, they had his flash drive, but he had the password uh, memorized and he didn't write it down anywhere. And he was like, you don't have my Bitcoin. And they're like, no, we have your flash drive. And he was like, it doesn't matter. He's like, I, when I get out of jail, I will go somewhere else and I will be able to download my Bitcoin. Um, so the transportability is what makes it better than gold, but it is funny. You nailed it. Like the, it is digital gold. It is a scarce asset that is never going to be, but it's not a tangible asset. No, it's just an, it's basically an accounting system. It's like a, like a, a worldwide spreadsheet saying who has what amount has what right so and it's what happens if i okay if i put my money in the bank mm-hmm. you're saying that's bad but i put my money in the bank yep and then, and then someone walks in the bank with a fucking machine gun and they rob the bank what happens to my money well they it's fdic insured um, right. So the government will print more money to replace it. So what happens now if I put my Bitcoin in a secure place and somebody steals that Bitcoin? What happens to my money? If somebody stole your Bitcoin, then you would lose it. But it so that's the the one risk trade off is that you are you have to be more self respond you have to be more responsible with your money. Like you have to take personal responsibility. Like if I forget my ATM code at the bank machine, I doesn't mean that I'll never be able to get my money out of the bank again. Well, but if I forget yeah. my code to get Bitcoin, then that money's just gone forever. It depends. It depends on how secure you want it. So like you can, you can do it so that you have plenty of backups and it's still secure. But then there was this guy who, I don't know if you saw this, the news article, but he, he put it on a, on a uh, a wallet, and he's like going and like the he's, he's, no, he like threw out the hard drive, and they're like digging up. Is that the same guy? They're oh, like no, no. There's a different guy. Other guy. He has the hard drive, but he bought one that only had. You can only try the password and fail ten times. Once you fail the tenth time, it locks forever. And he's guessed nine times and hasn't figured it out, but he doesn't remember his password. So it's like if you want to go that route, where you're gonna put it on something like that, then it's like, okay, you better make sure you remember this password. And he did it back when Bitcoin wasn't as valuable. So it was like, he was just like, oh, whatever. And like, and then he found it and he was like, oh my God, there's like, you know, a hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin on here. And I don't remember what the password was. So, so if a bank gets hacked and someone steals the money from the bank, what happens to your money? The, it gets replaced by. The- oh, it's insured. Yeah, FDIC. Oh, and if and if Coinbase or one of these places gets hacked and money goes away, does that you don't get that back? Um, I don't know with Coinbase what they're okay. Maybe not them specifically, but like where you're holding your where you're holding your Bitcoin if it gets so hacked. That's the the beauty of it. If you put it in a secure wallet, it can't get hacked. But then, how do people keep getting hacked? People get hacked because they put it in non 
secure places. Um, so you have to you have to do your own research and figure out what's going to be secure. Like I like this one. It's called Cold Card, um, and it's basically it's you know you you, you download it onto your cold card and it's there um you know but yeah there's people i mean if they if they leave it in a place where it's exposed to you know being attacked then then it could get attacked but they would have to know your seed phrase they'd have to know your password all that kind of stuff and you'd have to just be careless with it so there's nobody like for the dollar there is like a treasury that like technically has to like answer for this that and the other thing right and in bitcoin is there a treasury there's no treasury, but the, the thing is the treasury for the US, it's just like made up. They just right. they just create more money. I'm saying like technically speaking, like you said, my bank gets robbed. I had ten thousand dollars in that bank. Some guy walked out with that ten thou, but my ten thou is still there because of whatever you said, like it's insured. Yeah. So there is no insurance, like you're trading off that insurance. So it's there is a risk, right? An increased risk because of that. People you know, if yeah, your money is taxed from your bank, you're, you're protected, but you're not protected in Bitcoin. It's like a wild, wild west still. Is that what you're saying? Um, I mean, it's not that like it's a wild, wild west. It's just that. Like there's no governing body. Yeah, there's no governing body. And like, there's no one to write a complaint to like, dear Bitcoin, what do I do here? There's yeah, no. I get, no, you, I, yeah. uh, dear Bitcoin, um, dear Satoshi Nakamoto, please uh, send me my money that I lost. No, I mean, that in that. um but I think there's a lot of power to that because it brings back personal responsibility, you know, and like in thinking about it in like a bigger picture of the world. If someone loses like 30 million, it's like, yeah, oh, well, he should have had more personal responsibility. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I don't think that'll happen in the future because back then they were like, they didn't know how much it was going to become worth. And so they were just kind of being like loose with it. But in the future, it's, you know, people were going to understand and, and take the nobody's going to take that risk where they could lose 30 million um yeah. but uh but yeah it it's um because the problem is once you introduce a governing body then you have to trust them and if we've seen anything is that government governing bodies and humans in general are not very good to trust like you should trust very few people like that sounds really cynical you know but like you know you you can't just give these name these faceless people uh, responsibility to 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 not like hey don't mess with the money supply don't enrich yourself by inflating my savings away. So if there's like a watchdog that's like watching over people in the fiat world from doing that type of stuff, and I'm sure it does happen, but people do get caught. How does that work in this crypto world? Is there a watchdog that's looking out, or is you know, I know there's a blockchain where you can see transactions, but is there somebody that's like, hey, that's some, what, what was that? Or, hey, that shouldn't have happened. So, yeah, basically, there's like a like a double spend. Um, like, that's one of the problems that and I don't know this super well, but I know that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto solved the double spend problem. And I think that that came through the proof of work. So that's what all the miners are doing is all the miners are keeping the bank ledger that the entire world run of Bitcoin runs on. And that basically that spreadsheet breaking down like who has what and what goes where every single mine it miner is running that. Um, and so what they do is every through the algorithm, 
um, they come to a consensus that this is the number of transactions that happened in the last 10 minutes on the blockchain. They all come to that consensus and then they solidify it on the blockchain and move to the next block. So it actually protects itself. It's its own watchdog by as the mines miners keep running, it's its own watchdog protecting it from double spends, um, making sure that like, Oh, this, like this, this doesn't look like it added up right. And it'll discard it. And that transaction goes away. Okay. That makes, that sense. makes sense. It does. I, okay. Here's a, here's a bonus question on that. Nice. So one day Bitcoin you're saying is not going to be measured against the U S dollar. Cause it's going to be its own thing, but let's take, let's create a hypothetical scenario. Mm-hmm. So what happens if tomorrow, God forbid, but if tomorrow Bitcoin is worth zero U.S. dollars? What does that mean for Bitcoin? Like if the U.S. dollar is no longer applicable with Bitcoin, you know, you understand what I'm saying? That depends what you mean. Does that mean that the U.S. Like you can no longer cash it in for U.S. dollars? Like it's not U.S. dollars are no longer involved. Does that mean that the U.S. dollar doesn't exist anymore as an entity? Or are people still using U.S. dollars? People are still using U.S. dollars, but like the, it's no longer the measuring, like it's no longer in a part of the Bitcoin equation. So the Bitcoin is worth zero U.S. dollars. So what happens to Bitcoin? That could never, first of all, that could never happen only if the U.S. dollar went away because the U.S. doesn't have control over what it's measured against. What the sure. Yeah, that makes against. sense. But the, I mean... Like, if all currencies went away, like, like you said, if it went to val- if the value went to zero, then you is it still worth something? If 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 it's if it's worth zero American dollars, is there still value in a Bitcoin? Well, so if it goes to zero, in theory, you'd have to not that it's going to happen. I'm just yeah. creating like yeah. this if hypothetical you, if conversation. It went to zero, yeah. If it went to zero, in theory, it would be worth nothing. But at the same time there's enough people using it that I could go to somebody like Elon Musk and say, Hey, I'll give you one Bitcoin for a Tesla. And if he says, yes, then it's worth the market value of Tesla. Tesla. So, you know, at this point there's, there's enough circulation of it that enough people use it. Um, you should check out this one interview I just did recently with Bitcoin Beach down in El Salvador. And it's like lifting people out of poverty. And they created a circular economy where like everybody, they you can pay for everything in Bitcoin, go to the supermarket and buy things. And so that payment set method is, is one. At, but it's interesting to see that like this is basically I see like I see it as a a like prototype for the rest of the world to um, operate off of eventually um in the only way so like the you know what what would kill bitcoin is if central banks and governments stopped printing money and started getting responsible and actually created a deflationary environment where money where your dollars bought more over time the longer you save the dollars um the more money you have, essentially. That's what would kill Bitcoin. But at this point, we're so far past that that it'll they can't stop. Like you said, they've reached this critical mass where like what would happen if they didn't print the money and let the 
these markets crash. Like, it would be devastating. Yeah, it would be devastating. So even whether or not governments understand it, I think it's in their best interest to just have this off ramp. What if, 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 if could, could the U.S. government be like Bitcoin can no longer be traded in the U.S.? If they did that, what would happen? I guess nothing. Because people still play poker on sites that are hosted elsewhere or whatever. What happens when things get banned? It becomes more popular. Yeah, it probably it's, like the best press that could be for Bitcoin would be that. Maybe. Oh, yeah. The, the value would go through the roof. I mean, maybe it would take a little hit, you know, because people get scared. And then eventually there's, a, there's some countries that have tried to ban it. And like, uh, what's the country, country in Africa? Um, I, I don't want to say a name because I'm going to be completely wrong. But there's a country in Africa that um, just banned it like a couple months ago. And it's the activity there on Bitcoin went through the roof. Like more people were buying it after it got banned. Um, and it's one of those, you know, countries where like, like Venezuela and other ones where they're, they're printing their cash into oblivion, you know, and, and that's something that people in the U S and Canada and UK don't really get that. Like, that's a real thing that can happen. Um, you know, like. Uh, that's sort of like a worst case scenario, or is that something that's going to happen? Well, it's, it's going to happen because they... You think in our lifetime that's going to happen? I think in the next couple of years. Really? Wow. That. No, that's good. Like they, yeah, they've... You they think in the next couple of years that's going to happen? That's pretty grim if that's true. I mean, I would say within the next decade, we're going to see massive inflation that is going to be, you know, through the roof. I mean, you already see it now. Have you seen with like the housing market, how crazy yeah, everything is? Yeah, of course. You know, and it's just like, but like, but it, I, I mean, listen, I hear you it's loud and clear. And by the way, full transparency, I own Bitcoin and I own Ethereum. So I, I'm having a footing. Yeah. I play the game, but I also question a lot of things because I'm just a cynical person. So yeah, like I'll play the game, but I'll still like complain about the rules of the game while I'm playing the game. So, <laughs> so you know, like, yeah, I'm, I've, you know, I, I grew up with, uh, some of my friends that were child actors with me have become huge proponents in, in the Bitcoin world that, you know, I've seen what I've seen it firsthand, mm-hmm. like in the early days where no one knew what it was. I was right there getting it explained to me then. And the, the funny part is that like the same questions I had then are the same questions that I have now. So it's like, it's always interesting to strike up a conversation with a guy like yourself because everybody sort of has a different spin on it. But like, I've yet to sort of get that aha moment where like I completely I'm like, yes, now I see exactly what this is. Like I've never 100% seen exactly what this is. I see something that was once worth zero that is now worth $60,000. I'm happy I'm a part of that. But I also still am confused of how we got there. And, you know, it's like, yeah. Well, I'm happy that we got there. I'm just confused of how we got there. And I know that people are predicting it's going to go even further and further and further. And I hope that happens because I'll be excited about that. But again, I'll be like confused as to like how we got there. So maybe I'm not the only one that thinks like that. You know, I'd also don't understand the stock market completely. And I'll blindly invest in this, that and the other thing. So there's a lot of guys like me that are good for the Bitcoin market. Um, but at the same time, and like, does Bitcoin depend on new money always coming in? Um, like if people stopped trading today, what would happen to the value? It would go, if the trading volume went down, what would happen? Like, does it always depend on the trading value to be high in order for it to go up? 
the best thing in the world that could happen would be if people stopped selling it. Cause like you right. said before earlier, like for every, every, uh, you know, sale, there's a buyer and a seller, mm-hmm. you know, and if, if it's, I've seen somebody say, I saw somebody say this before, they were like, if we all just stopped selling the Bitcoin, like the value would go through the roof. Yeah. If we never traded it. Um, and that is part of what I think it's like 78%. That would make it rare if everybody held it. Well, 78% of the Bitcoin, like if you ever, people are worried that like people are going to sell it and it's going to go down. Um, I think like 78% of Bitcoin have never been, have never moved. Like people have bought them like 78% of them. And yeah, I saw something on that actually. So like there will be, there people will always buy and hold. Like for me, like I, you know, a large chunk of it is just retirement. Like I, I have no intentions of touching it for over 30 years. And so it's like, as far as the day to day goes, it doesn't bother me. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, eventually the reason I, Bitcoin- I, I, I think that I'm like, not where you are yet. I think that I'm like still the big skeptic that is that will go to the magic show and I'm watching it and the illusion is amazing. I but I still am like, this is how the fuck is this even working? Like I'm still very much in that camp and, and I'm just being honest, no, you know? I'm, I'm, yes. I'm, I still buy a ticket and watch the magic show and I love the magic show, I but I also it, leave there and be like, I know how they die. You know, something's up with that. That was a trick. You know, it's I like, get, I should try and get um to, to get this Robert Breedlove on the show if i get him on with me then i i'd have you come on because i feel like he he he's like dude, he's like a philosopher and the way he talks about stuff somebody said it was like uh like taking like an uh, i whatever that uh, dmt trip is right right <laughs> where people think they can like see the fabric of reality and like right. you know he was, he he explained it like really well he did a, a four-hour uh podcast with lex friedman um and yeah, it was like a four hour stint. It was, it was great. I recommend it to everybody. Um, yeah. I mean, my, 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 I, I would be down for that, but my, my advice, if someone was asking me about crypto, you know, I would say that still at this stage in the game, like if, like if you don't have a situation where you have a pocket of money that you can like play with, so to speak, like I would, I, I, I don't know whether I would recommend them doing it or not. Like at this point, yes, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, it could be a different world where Bitcoin is number one. But in the current place where we live now, you still need a dollar to buy that tuna sandwich. So it's like if your family like needs money to like pay your rent, like I wouldn't necessarily be like, hey, give me the $10,000 that you needed for your rent. We're going to buy Bitcoin. I don't know that I would recommend doing that now to them. Uh, what do you think about that? What I recommend to people is they call it dollar cost averaging. So like, um, you know, like, cause like you said, a lot of people, most people don't have like pockets of cash where it'd be like, all right, I'll just dump that in there. Um, so, you know, it's like if you can put an extra hundred bucks a month away, even if it's, you know, $150 or, you know, 50 bucks a month and put it away. And instead of putting it into a savings account, you put it into Bitcoin and just, they call it dollar cost averaging because people look at the price. They go, Oh my God, $60,000. I can't afford that. Um, and, and that scares them away. And, but if they look at it as instead of like, Oh, I got in at this price, you know, if, if it keeps going up 10 grand a month, but every month 
you keep putting a hundred us dollars in you'll just keep accumulating in your and you're just an average value of what you got in at you know you take the do- total us dollars that you put in and divide it by the number of bitcoin you got and it, it might end up somewhere you know like there's this one billionaire who who bought he has like two billion dollars worth of bitcoin the first 500 million he bought at like 15,000 or 10,000 and he keeps buying so like right now all the bitcoin he owns he got at like an average value of like 27,000 because he keeps just accumulating as time goes on so it would have been the it even though he bought some early and he just bought some recently it would be the equivalent of him buying all of the bitcoin he has at 27,000 um so it's it's better to do that than to just sit there and go oh, I'll, I'll save up $1,000 and then buy Bitcoin. It's like, oh, no, like, you know, find something, you know, and, and I know for people like money's tight, especially in the times of COVID, but it's like, look at like your monthly budget, find something that you can do without, you know, you could find $50 worth of something that you're, you could do without and your life will be much better off in the long run by saving it in something that's going to go up in value and can't be devalued by you know, governments and, and central banks. And like, is it, what'll blow your mind? Did you know that the, did you know that the federal reserve in the U S is a private company? It's not a government agency. I did not know that. That blew my mind when I found that out recently, it's a private company. Look up what, what the hell happened on Jekyll Island or the, no, the monster from Jekyll Island is like a book or something. And like when they established the Federal Reserve, I think in like 1913, these groups, this group of people, like wealthy people, went to an island off of the coast of Georgia, I think, literally called Jekyll Island. And they, what was created there was the Federal Reserve. And they have the authority to print new money, issue new money, and it's a private company. How the F is that possible? So it's this group of elites that manipulate the supply for. Yeah, I'm reading. I just looked it up. The answer is both. While the board of governors is an independent government agency, the federal reserve banks are set up like private corporations. Member banks hold stock in the federal reserve. Isn't that crazy? So they're just getting richer by printing money. They, cause they, that's the thing they hold, they don't hold cash. All the rich people don't hold cash. You know what I mean? Like they don't have that much cash on hand everything's in hard assets that appreciate in value like real estate and Lamborghinis. Yeah. And art, they art baseball cards, baseball cards should be. Yeah. A Mickey Mantle. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I mean, getting back to the baseball cards, I mean, if you look at it, so like the, the Hannes Wagner, go, a shout out to Pittsburgh, um, mm-hmm. are born and bred, but that's like the most valuable card ever. Right. No, I mean, not anymore. Now it's like some like LeBron James, like NFT card or something. You know, it's oh, like some LeBron James dunk. It's like a different, it's a different world now, but yes, technically speaking, that should be the most valuable. Yes. The Honus Wagner card, the Mickey Mantle rookie card, a Babe Ruth rookie card would be good. You know, Wayne Gretzky rookie card should be good. Michael Jordan rookie card should be good. I mean, these are guys who, you know, you're not speculating on these guys. And I think Gary V says sort of the same thing. It's like, I'm not speculating that some guy's going to have a 20 year career. Like Michael Jordan's stats are not going to change. He's still going to be Michael Jordan. And same thing with these proven kind of um, entities. And I think it's sort of like an ageist sort of 
marketplace. It's like the people who grew up idolizing, that's your market. So it's like people who grew up watching Griffey Jr. are going to care more about a Griffey Jr. rookie than some kid that doesn't know who even Griffey Jr. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, our parents grew up watching the Yankees and Mickey Mantle and blah, blah, blah. That's why Mickey Mantle's, you know, they, they passed that on to us. They, and, but they passed that on to us. Now we know Mickey Mantle is something because our parents told us how great Mickey Mantle is. And enough people's parents loved Mickey Mantle that he stood the test of time. Babe Ruth, test of time. Michael Jordan, same thing. Wayne Gretzky. Nobody's ever going to break Wayne Gretzky's records, ever. No. You know, so if you collect hockey cards. No, Mario Lemieux is a better hockey player, but. I mean, it's a different hockey player, but Mario Lemieux is, is definitely, He's listen. The most talented that ever existed. I, I, I think that, point. I would say that it's hard to argue with what you just said. And I will say that, like, for we me. never challenge Gretzky's record. You can't challenge Gretzky because he's an anomaly. You know, Mario never put up those numbers, but he was the next, the closest thing to it. And maybe had he stayed healthy, he could have actually challenged for some of these records. But Mario is a different player. He's a hockey player. Gretzky's a finesse guy. He makes plays. Mental. He, all mental. He passes. He can score. He can do all that stuff. Whereas Mario Lemieux could pass. He could score, but he could also beat the crap out of you. He'll go in the yeah. corner with you. He, you know, it's a different guy. It's a more complete sort of hockey player. Um, <laughs> I, love that, I love that we had to get into Gretzky versus Lemieux. Like that's. I mean, it's funny because it's like a Jordan versus Kobe or Jordan versus LeBron. Like Gretzky and Lemieux is an interesting conversation because they played at the same time. Yep. Like Jordan and, and Kobe played like a game against each other. Whereas Gretzky and Lemieux played with each other against each other. Uh, and Mario won a lot of, and Mario won cups and Gretzky won cups. Like these, it's very, the comps are very, very interesting on them. More people know who Gretzky is than Mario Lemieux. So mm-hmm. Gretzky probably wins in the PR department, but anybody who grew up in Pittsburgh, the answer is going to be Mario. You know, Crosby's amazing too. Oh yeah, yeah. Crosby's amazing. I mean, you know, Ovechkin. It's like people. I, his goal scoring's through the roof. You can't deny that. Um, but he also the thing that Ovechkin has going against him is that he's Russian, and so like Canadians, and, uh, Canadians like Canadians, and Americans like Americans, and they don't. Well, even Canadians, you guys were against Mario because he was a francophone. He was from Quebec. well, <laughs> you know they they. They were we liked him for the Canada Cup. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So growing up, one of my favorite. Uh, this has nothing to do with Bitcoin, but whatever. Yeah. One up, growing up, one of my favorite players, hockey players, was a guy named Pat Lafontaine. Oh, he was, he was great. He wasn't Canadian. He was an American guy, and I'm Canadian. It was like blasphemous that like one of my favorite players was this American for Buffalo. Played for Buffalo, the New York Islanders. He was like a really good player, but anyway. In 1990-something, I don't remember, but when Mario left, he took time off because he had Hodgkin's cancer, Mm -hmm. and LaFontaine was leading the league in points for the first time, and he was having his big year, and I was so excited, and he had, like, more points than anybody, and this was, like, finally the year. Then Mario comes back from From cancer. cancer treatment, and now with, like, three months left in the season, not only does he catch LaFontaine, he passes him and wins yeah. the scoring title. Like, that's how good Mario Lemieux is. He's in another category. Yeah, he's in another – he's in a league of his own yeah. is my point. Oh, yeah, that's why, I always, that's why I say it's if he had Gretzky's health, he would have all the records. But he didn't. Yeah. 
So you have to get because he played he played a different game than Gretzky did, but also he had cancer. I mean, obviously that had nothing to do with yeah. hockey. But and he also he had a physical game. Had to play like I always laugh because even though they played at the same time, Gretzky had like four years before Lemieux, and like in the eighties, goalies were like shin pads. You know, like right. they, they. But at the same point, even though. Not everybody was scoring 100 goals just because the goalies had those pads. He's still, you know what I mean? It's like there's still that. But every time I go to every time I go to um, Gretzky's restaurant in Toronto, which is um, closed now, by the way, they closed it. Yeah. Because of the pandemic, like it just couldn't survive. That's a shame. Yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. Well, they every time I. Every time I went there, I would get the 99 burger, but I would make them serve it to me as a 66 for Lemieux. <laughs> and I That's always cool. had the, and my wife would roll her eyes because I had to like tell the story to the, wait, the waiter or waitress as to why I wanted a 66. And I'm like, oh, and they were like, what are you going to do if Gretzky's ever here? I was like, honestly, I mean, I'd just tell him to his face. I'd be like, you have all the records, everything, no disrespect, but Mario is a better hockey player. And that would drive Gretzky nuts because he, I don't think he really liked Mario. Um, you know, he's a little uh, selfish there, but, uh, but yeah. So, um, so who are, do you have any, any of your child actor friends that are public about Bitcoin that you can, yeah, I mean, Brock Pierce, number one, I mean, doesn't get bigger than him in the Bitcoin world. I don't think uh, he was a child actor. He was in the mighty ducks movies and uh, he was around like he was my buddy and he was one of the very first kind of guys that was very outspoken about bitcoin and he's made a lot of money doing it mm-hmm. uh he ran for president in the last election um you know he's a colorful guy brock for sure and he's been a, sort of ahead of ahead of the time when it comes to this crypto stuff for sure uh zach ty Bryan, who was on uh, the home improvement show that's oh, brock's yeah. buddy they were in the movie together uh first kid with simbad Brock uh, yeah, got back right. into it early and Zach's now made a fortune uh, doing Bitcoin stuff. So, you know, I have a couple of buddies. Those two specifically are very, very uh, heavily invested in Bitcoin and they've both done very, very well. And, you know, they look like the smart ones because they're, they told us so. Really early. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. You know, Brock got in at a dollar, you know, it's like That's these guys, are, these guys are killing it. Um, yeah, um, it so for people now, this is like uh, less Bitcoin related, but what's it like? How do you get into being a child actor? Because I mean, you, how did your career start basically? You, well, know, was, you were, how old were you? You were, I was like two or three years old. I was a little kid. Um, yeah, I, I, it's much different now than it was back then, but now everybody's got their kid trying to be an actor. But you know, yeah. back then, it was a limited pool that was doing it. And uh, my sister was already in the business. My older sister, Carrie, she was already doing commercials and modeling stuff like that for kids catalogs and whatnot. And I just happened to be with my sister for a shoot that she was doing. And she was working with some baby that like wouldn't stop crying. And my sister was like recommended, Hey, my brother's in the car. We can put him in this outfit. And they did it. And uh, it worked. And they called me to come back the next week. And so before I even could learn how to crawl or walk or talk, I was already in the business. So my first, you know, I was doing commercials when I was still in a high chair. So, uh, you know, I got in and at the right, I got in when Bitcoin was at zero. <laughs> yeah. For acting. Yes. But, but, uh, you know, back then there was maybe, you know, a small pool of kids that were working actors at that point, And I was one of them. And now 
there's thousands of people trying to be actors. So it's like a different world right now, but yeah, that's how I got in back then. And uh, you know, I was like a cute little kid that like could talk and follow direction and remember, remember the lines, you know, it's like, these you are have all to be like, I've seen before with kid actors, one of the problems is you have to basically like parrot the line to them. Like, right. Be like, I don't hey, recall like, ever. Yeah. I don't recall ever really having that type of direction. I think I got it like pretty early, but again, I was doing it before I even knew how to talk. So that might explain why. Um, and it's funny, the thing that I grew up sort of doing and being trained my whole life to do, which is acting, is like the thing that I like almost do the least of as an adult. Um, now you're writing and now I'm writing and directing and producing and trying to like find my highs doing other things. But at the end of the day, I would love to just, you know, a guy like you calls me, hey, we're doing this thing. Like I would at the end of the day, like that's what I know how to do. I know how to shoot baskets. So I've been shooting baskets on the driveway since I was four. And that's what I know how to do. So it's like, I, I'm still waiting for some teams to call me and be like, Hey, we need a guy to come shoot threes. Dude, we're still going to, we're, we're going to do it. Do you remember the comedy that we were going to do together? Like I, I still wrote it. It's about the, the or I still have it and we're going to do it hopefully soon. But remember it was going to be me, you, and we were talking about me, you and Rupert Grint. Right. Doing what happened to that? That, I mean, so basically it got to the point where I could have made it for like nothing and like, I probably, I would have been able to make it, but I wouldn't have been able to like fly you in from Toronto to do it. You know what yeah. I mean? Or like, yeah. like I would, it would have had to have been like all local. And I was like, I just don't want it to be that thing that like, right. it's like, oh, you know, you spent some money on it. So I, I made it my mission at that point. I was like, all right, I'm going to go out. And get to the point where I can just make my own movies with my own money and don't have to try and well, keep buying anybody. Bitcoin keeps going up. Maybe you can do that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Trust me, man. That's a that's a plan. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's like uh, you could actually shoot a movie for like five Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's uh, easily easily. And, you know, it's funny. I was trying to think of a way to like incorporate if somebody listening wants to make a movie and they have five Bitcoin. Let us know. <laughs> let us know. And we will turn that five Bitcoin into 10 Bitcoin. Um, because yeah, it, it, I just couldn't think of a way to like convince somebody like, Hey, you should give me your Bitcoin to make this movie. It, it, it Cause it's going to make more money just sitting there as Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, if people want to diversify, um, you know, uh, well, it's also yeah. like a fancy investment. If someone's really rich and wants to write off a loss, invest in a movie. <laughs> yeah, right off a loss. That's a great I mean, investment pitch. I mean, literally, you could pay it in taxes or you could make have your name on the movie. Yeah. Which one do you want? Yeah, no, that's 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 one of the pitches for those that don't know the industry. It's like yeah, it's like a tax. Do you want to spend that million dollars in taxes or like Stu said, or you can get your name, you give me a million dollars. And not lose the million, but you're being executive producer and you might make money on your loss because it's still a movie. So like if it becomes a hit, all of a sudden that loss becomes a positive gain. Uh, the, um, but yeah. <laughs> the easiest way to make a hundred thousand uh, dollar write off a hundred thousand dollar loss is to invest a hundred thousand dollars into a movie. <laughs> um, hope none of, hope none of our investors are listening. Um, well, maybe they were happy because they needed those write offs. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So what's the, uh, what's the funniest thing, like most random thing that, I mean, I know you're like not a name dropper or whatever, but like most random thing that ever happened in your career where people would be like, Oh my God, you were, you know, 
even if it was just an episode of a show i mean i could go through your whole imdb but like any random stories from being a child actor where it's like whoa that's that's how life was as a child actor yeah i mean there's just too many to pick just one but um you know off the top of my head um my sister was a huge fan of beverly hills 90210 and i figured out i had to get on that show somehow and yeah no matter what like i had to figure out how the hell am i going to get on that show because my sister watched every week she was obsessed with it and so i managed to get into a casting for one of the episodes now the kids on 90210 were older than me so i couldn't play one of their contemporaries the only way i would get into the show is to play like some bit part like there wasn't like you know, there's a kid in distress or yeah some, there's like a reason why would there be a kid on the show like there the, the wasn't that ice cream cone that got knocked yeah, over exactly so there's not that many opportunities for like a kid on that show there's not too many kid parts or characters that are younger than those leads uh, at that time so there was a storyline on like season like 100 where like david silver 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 david silver brian austin green's character mm-hmm. like is going through like, like financial trouble like you know he's he locked himself out of his crypto wallet he like couldn't get his money <laughs> so he had to get a job working at like a urban outfitters or something so there was like a small kind of bit walk-on part that had a f- only a few lines that's like a customer in the <laughs> urban outfitters and like brian austin green sort of interacts with the character and then like his boss sees him not working and fires him from the job so it's like i auditioned for that I was completely overqualified for the role because this was like somebody that was like looking to pick up a couple lines and put it on the resume. But I was like, wanted to be on 90210 because I wanted to get, I wanted my sister to see like me show up on 90210. So I auditioned for this part and I got the part. And so I end up going to, I end up being on 90210. And so my sister didn't really realize that I was on it or, you know, I wasn't like, guess what? I'm on 90210. And basically, like, maybe she knew, but like her, her friends, like everybody watched that show, you know, that was like her generation's like favorite show. So it's like, it surprised the hell out of everybody who's watching it. And like their stew just shows up on a random <laughs> just getting David and people were like, what the, what? <laughs> so that was a fun, I mean, that's not the necessarily the best story, but it's a good one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I get checks for like three bucks every, uh, every year for those reruns for the 90210 reruns yeah so put that into those yeah put that into the bitcoin yeah dollar cost average your your 90210 royalties uh into into bitcoin so did did, when you moved how old were you when you moved to la uh i first went out there when i was 16 and then i like didn't really have like i didn't understand the legalities of someone from canada going into the states trying to get work and because I was 16 and I couldn't, I was auditioning for parts, getting the part and couldn't do the job because I had to get a visa and this and that and the other thing. So I went back to Toronto and when I was applying for my visa to go back, I ended up booking like a ton of stuff. Like my time in LA at 16, I'd already been in a bunch of shows, obviously at that point. But when I came back from LA, it was like something clicked or something. And then that's when the magic school bus happened and I did this other movie called The Boys Club with Devin. That's where I met Devin. Uh, I did this Disney Channel show called Flash Forward. And all of a sudden, my visa application became like no problem. And then I went back <laughs> to L.A. the following year and I just stayed. And I, I moved out there with Devin was my roommate. 
Devin and Phil, Phil Glass. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. So me and Devin and Phil, we were roommates when the, you know we were 18 years old. Phil may have been 17. And we just like got a, we first lived in a studio apartment. The three of us lived in a studio apartment together. Nice. We got kicked out of there pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, and then we ended up in Encino in this like, you know, three bedroom sort of like family complex where we're like families lived in these units and like and then three, teenage three. insane, insane people. You know, we ruined the, the living experience for everybody in that complex. <laughs> Uh, but we were like, you know, we, we, we had some good times, man. But uh, yeah, that's, that's where I got out to LA. Phil living off of his five old goes West money. Yeah. Phil. Well, here's the funny thing. So Phil was the, we're talking about this guy, Phil, he was the voice of five old, the mouse in the American tale movies legend. Um, so at that point, Phil had, it had already been a couple of years since American tale, you know, those checks had already cashed a long time ago at that point. But <laughs> McDonald's, randomly in like 1997, I want to say 97, but randomly McDonald's ran this like happy meal promotion that if you buy a happy meal, you can uh, buy a copy of like, look who's talking or American tale Two, five goes West or bad news bears. I don't know. I'm making yeah, up titles, but like yeah. five yeah. goes West was one of the options. And they ended up through this Happy Meal program selling like some 2 million copies of American Tale. And Phil had piece of that action from his contract. Yeah. And so all this money came in and Phil was like riding high off Fival all over again. And, and probably came to him at the worst possible time. I know he's told me. I mean, it's the worst time. possible time because he was like a teenager who like didn't have somebody looking after the money. And so we were just like having the best time with that Fival money. <laughs> I asked him one time, uh, I said, I said, uh, I said, what happened? You know, like, and he was like, um, he's like, you ever heard the was in rock and roll? <laughs> I was like, I didn't know you were in a rock and roll band. He's like, I wasn't. Um, well, he kind of was. Yeah. Well, you guys had with, was that with yeah. Jamie Kennedy? You guys had. Uh, before uh, Jamie, I was with Phil. <laughs> I was, <laughs> you know, Phil used to entertain uh, everybody at the parties. Uh, we were, had a little rap duo going back then. Um, oh, but yeah, let, Phil, Phil's a family man now. And uh, he's, he's a great man. He's doing well. He's got three kids. He's got a beautiful family. His wife is a nice lady. Uh, and he's, uh, he's producing big stuff. He's doing big, big oh, stuff. Yeah. But that's how we met because Phil was producing movies in Pittsburgh at that point, and uh, you were working on those productions, right? Yep. Yeah, that's that's how that worked. And then, um, and then Phil actually was the first person I talked to to get advice for getting into distribution. I was like, "All right, dude, I'm going to do this. What do I need?" And he was like, "All right, I've delivered a bunch of movies. This is what you need." Blah 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 blah, and like went through like the QC, how all that stuff that needs to be done, and um, and yeah. So is that your then, primary uh, business, Rao? Yeah, so we actually, and we also uh, launched a streaming platform, um, which is something I'll talk, I wanted to talk to you about once we done, we're done recording. Um, uh, so yeah, it was a streaming platform called My Movies Plus. Um, and uh, yeah, we got some, some uh, things going on there. So yeah, I'm just doing straight, uh, like handling distribution, producing some small things, and then uh, launching the streaming platform. We're going to start producing some bigger stuff here as well. And what about crypto? Is that your like main gimmick no crypto is like literally you like doing a podcast obviously it's like a, it's a part of your life yeah so what i decided was i was like you know what i need to learn more about it because i literally went like all in 
last spring and um and i was like i need to learn more so the best way to learn is to interview people about it and talk about it so i figured this year i was like i could i could set aside five hours a week to you know like organize interviews get people on and you know just i i could afford to spend that time doing that and it would be worthwhile um so yeah so that's the that's the bitcoin and i'm also doing a documentary called searching for satoshi um so there is you know a film you're gonna find him uh probably not i don't think so i don't think i don't think he exists anymore i'm brock maybe find brock he'll tell you where he is i'll have to interview brock for it i'll get him i'll get him in it we're going the bitcoin conference is in a in a month um so yeah there's gonna be a lot of yeah it's like it's kind of funny like my two worlds have merged where like this bitcoin thing was like a fun hobby and now i'm like you know doing a podcast about bitcoin and and the weird i was kind of surprised to be honest that you were doing a thing on bitcoin i like it's the last thing i would have expected you to be doing a podcast on, but <laughs> no, I guess- no me as well you like i i got this book about uh deflationary economics for christmas and my whole family looked at me wow what a christmas ask that was you sat down on santa's lap and asked for that yeah they were like you want for christmas a book about deflationary values yeah (laughs) they were like what is what in the world is going on because like i i usually ask for like toys like at this age i still ask for toys like drones and like you know random like r2d2 like app enable you know the sphero r2d2 oh yeah it's like that's what i'm known for and then they create yeah, and they bu- they busted out this uh, this book, and I was like, oh yeah, that's that's what I want. Um, but no, it's I mean, yeah. So I, I find it fascinating because it's kind of like interesting to watch like the, the old crony banking world just like collapse on itself. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, it's uh, it's a scary world out there financially for sure. Um, there's uncertainty, and there's definitely access to more information. Uh, where people can become can go and learn about things like what you've learned about that previously maybe they wouldn't have known about and there's definitely you know it's an echo chamber of like people love conspiracies and you know oh yeah gravitate towards conspiracies and i think bitcoin essentially like attracts a lot of that stuff naturally just because people are just like so like confused about what it is and also like you said the whole kind of uh fundamental goals of where Bitcoin's headed is kind of depends on the collapse of the economy of the fiat <laughs> economy. So you're sort of on the craps table betting, like don't come like you're betting, you're betting against the house uh, by betting on Bitcoin and usually, um, or you're betting with the house, I guess. Uh, no, you're betting against the house, <laughs> but the house doesn't know that their odds, the odds are right. against them. Right. So the house just so, thinks that the casinos ro- running like normal and everything's going to keep the profits will keep coming in. And then all of a sudden, it's right. just going to. And there's, an interu- there's a disruptor. Um, you know, listen, it's going to be. A, I still I still say that it's very early for Bitcoin, uh, even though it has been around now for over 10 years. And it is obviously at an all time record high right now. And at the same time, it's still very early in the game. Um, mm-hmm. So where it where it goes, I don't know. I can't predict. Um if you can somehow convince, you know, wrapping this up and back to baseball cards, those same, let's just say 10,000 people, or we'll, we'll go higher than that. The same 100,000 collectors that never went away after that first bubble burst in the 90s 
are still the same hundred thousand collectors that they're still the same base 30 years later. It's still those same hundred thousand people with new kind of people coming on top of them. But if Bitcoin and cryptocurrency can get a core group of adopters that is in that range, then it'll never go away because there'll always be people playing in it. Uh, you know, there's still people paying for somewhere. I don't know who, but there's still 20,000 people still, there must be somebody that keep making it. So somebody's still paying for it. So it's like, you know, Bitcoin has, has that audience or that engagement with a community, we'll call it. And if that community is all in like you are, you know, that's, then there's longevity there. Uh, if people get bored of baseball cards, it's over. If, yeah. you know, if people, people probably won't get bored of Bitcoin because it's, you're dealing with money and, and everybody loves money. Yeah. Well, it's funny that, I mean, that's what Satoshi put in the original, uh, I think in the white paper, he said it has the potential for a positive feedback loop um, where, you know, people buy it, it goes up in value, their friends hear about it. So their friends buy it and then it goes up in value again and their friends, you know, and it just kind of keeps feeding on itself. You know, yeah. I mean, listen, like, the best thing that can happen for a casino is for somebody hit the to somebody to hit the jackpot. Somebody wins thirty thousand dollars on a jackpot. That's the best advertisement because everybody wants to come in and, and play and they want to win the thirty thousand. So Bitcoin, I guess, has a you have a better chance maybe of making that thirty thousand playing crypto than you do on a slot machine. But uh good luck to everybody. And I would I would I would you know proceed with caution and keep both eyes open don't just jump in the pool with your eyes closed and swim and hope to like find something you got to kind of know what you're getting into and even the experts don't completely know what the hell they're getting into in this instance i think there's still so much to learn so much to uncover a guy like yourself who's smart educated well-spoken hosting a podcast even there's things that you don't know yet so it's like uh you know i think that it's still it's still relatively uh early in the game and uh there's a lot of opportunities to be had. And obviously guys like Elon Musk, uh, that's not, you know, and, and uh, financial institutions and, you know, the more sort of mainstream people sort of get in. Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to blur them out for weirdos on YouTube. More, the more more mainstream stuff that comes in. Hey, then the better it's going to be for them. How are you? Here, I'll take, I think this should work for the audio. Hello. Do you know, remember who I told you I was talking to today? Ralphie. Yeah. You, you watch Magic School Bus? Yeah. Yeah. Who you like? Who's your favorite character? Um, I don't know who. Well, you like uh, Lizzie. The Lizzie. You like Arnold? Who do you like? Lizzie the Lizard? Mm-hmm. And Miss Frizzle? Yep. And Arnold? Everybody. Carlos? Yep. He makes funny jokes, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Did you do more than? Did you do more voices than? Uh, than like, do you do any side voices for like random characters? Yeah, of course. I, well, on the new one, I'm. That's what I do. On like the new series, I play a lot of random people, like so the you play the older people now. Yes, now I'm the older people. Now I'm like the science teacher, the gas station guy, the. <laughs> the new one too. Yeah. And cool. Uh, huh? So now you're yeah. gonna do a cartoon. I heard you're doing a cartoon. What and you're going to do the voices? Um, I'm the main character, Eraser. Eraser? Yeah. Eraser. Is, he a super, is he a superhero or is he an eraser? He's a 
race car that's in oh, a racer a racer i thought you said eraser like a pencil eraser you're talking yeah, about yeah. A racer. he's a he's a race car that erases things in a preschool classroom what that's crazy yeah that sounds really cool yeah yeah so at the end of the day whenever all the kids go home he comes out and he erases everything and that's how he learns yeah. Wow. So he's in a race. He's a he's a racer who's in a racer. Yeah. The eraser eraser. We're also making books about him. We're even um uh, we are even um getting new characters. The eraser is the only one we've done so far. And you're gonna do more characters. Stu said that he would want to do a voice. Yeah. Yeah. That would be great. Could you imagine? Yeah, so keep yeah, keep working on it, man. That sounds like a great idea. There's uh, there's uh, Marcus the Marker. Marcus the Marker? That'd be a good candidate for you. There's yeah. The, there's also Tabby the Tablet. The Tablet, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we've got a handful of characters so Penny, far. We Penny, the, Penny the Pencil Sharpener? Do, it's actually Penny the Pencil. Penny the Pencil. Penny the Pencil. <laughs> yep. uh, um, trying to remember the other ones. Um. But yeah, man, like we're that's one of the things I was gonna talk to you about once we're done recording because we right. just, Frank the chalk. That's not a that? good the chalk. Is there a piece of chalk that has a name? Um no. we should not yet. like Charlie Charlie Chalk or something, that'd be good. I know, chalky chalk. Chalky chalk. Chalky chalk, yeah. That's kind of like Marky Mark, you know. Yeah, chalky, chalky chalk. chalk. Chalky could make chalk. him like the rapper. Sure. With which, which could be your character. Yeah, it could be chalky chalk. Because you can rap. Um <laughs> The uh, but yeah, that's uh, Bella the school bell. You <laughs> what's that? Bella the school bell. Bella the school bell. Yeah. Tick tock the clock. Yeah. He it's gonna be like what? Have, I don't know if you've ever seen like Daniel Tiger's neighborhood where they like it's like Tiger. Those, where they talk like oh you know do you know what that is like what number yeah like blues clues yep yeah so Dora. His little brother, he wants he wants to make sure we get it out so his little brother will watch it. Well, there you go. You got at least one person to watch the show, so we're on, we're on our way. That's scalable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you like get out before my big before my little brother is too old for it. Yeah, you gotta you better hurry up then. Yeah, got like a hundred more episodes left, and I don't think we're gonna get enough in time for once he is old enough for them well you you gotta try your hardest man that's all you can do how old are you five you're already five yeah oh my god you're not a little boy at all you're a big kid yeah i go five. to preschool though so next year i'm going to kindergarten are you really yeah oh my goodness do you like that yeah tell them what did you what did you play what do you play uh um what what team do you play oh i play for pirates wow pirates what position do you play what what do you play um uh you play all different positions which which one's your favorite my favorite is is third and outfield and third and outfield. You got that yeah. gun from third base. He does actually. He makes it all the way across the diamond. He, wow. he can make a throw to first base. I heard that you. Uh, I, 
I can even, I'm even, I even like first base because I like catching a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and last when time you... I was first base, I was afraid. And the and last time I was first base, which was last night, I wasn't at all afraid. That's great. I used to love playing first base too because that's where all the action is. Yeah, and pitcher. Yeah, and pitcher too. You know who my who my, my you want to know who my favorite baseball team is? What? The Toronto Blue Jays. My favorite team is the Pirates. Yeah. Sometimes the Pirates play against each other with the Blue Jays. Um, Who's your second favorite team? The Blue Jays. And guess what? Last what? night, the team we were playing was called the Blue Jays. So it was like Major League Baseball, the Pirates versus the Blue Jays. And who won? The Pirates. Yeah. Last game we won, so two in a row games winning. Two A two-game winning streak? Yeah. Oh, my God. I got to bet on the third game. When's the lines coming out? <laughs> it should come out in probably three days. Yeah. Got to get on that. And the uh, Pirates. He loves he loves the Blue Jays. And he has a he has who's a, your favorite player on the Blue Jays. Who's your, favorite, who's your favorite player on the Pirates? Um, from um, so my favorite player that plays now is Ponko. And my favorite player that used to play is McCutcheon. Ah, Kutch. Yeah. And I and um I He's so cute. even have a jersey that my jersey for the Pirates. Oh, you do? McCutcheon's number. Oh my god. Are you as good as McCutcheon? Yeah. You are? Yep. Um I'm oh. the captain of the team too. Holy smokes. You're the captain? Yep. Oh my God! You are something special, man. I guess keep working hard, and maybe you'll be in the yeah. in the major majors. Like, yeah. In, yeah. Where does he play now? That's so crazy. So McCutcheon caught a ball with that game. That game. Really? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I must like three years old. Two. Yeah, I think you're three at the time. I even we went to a Pirates game the one night and I caught a and I got a ball from a Polanco and I got another ball not from Polanco not even from a player. Yeah, you got, how did you get? The, how are you catching all these balls? Where are you sitting? I don't even know how I catch all these balls. We it it, it was like shooting fish in a barrel with you know like limited attendance. So like usually oh, there's so like a he, bunch of kids sitting there and like you know Polanco turned around and like there was two kids and he was one of them you know that's you're allowed I think they have like there were like three or four thousand people in the whole stadium. Gregor Polanco. Yeah. Yep. What yeah. he's an outfielder. Yeah. Yeah. Right field. So all the stars have gone and now you're just left with Polanco. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's uh, downhill. So, but. I guess Musgrove's not there anymore. No, the, and he goes to San Diego and throws a no-hitter. Yeah, Josh Bell's not there. They traded him on Christmas they Eve. That was wonderful. A great, a great, great Christmas present. A great Christmas present fans. to all of us Pirate fans. Well, he hasn't really done much since, so you guys probably got easy there. But um, I'm really rooting for you, man. So good luck with the Pirates. Good luck. I hope you win the championship. Thanks. Say thanks. All right. I'm going to finish up, okay? Okay. Say bye. Say bye. 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 He's great. 
Uh, yeah. So he's, uh, he's been, he's been wanting to do a podcast and, and I, I knew that, that the one with Ralphie was going to be the one. There it is. He's finally on. We've done it. Yeah. Um, Moral of the story is that, uh, baseball cards are back. Crypto is back. So if they have something in common, they're both back and they both came from pretty volatile places to come back to stronger than they were the first time. Yeah. That's a great comparison there because baseball cards were like that. Then they were like that. And now they're like that. That's yep. what happened. Crypto it was like that to 17,000. That was like the benchmark. Then it was like that. And now it's like, so, yep. And it'll just keep riding that train. And, um, and yeah, and you can, so the movie, it's not on Netflix anymore, right? It's no, it's on, not on Netflix anymore. It's on Tubi in the States. Okay. And uh, I think it's also like on demand if you have like Amazon or any of these other type of uh, streaming services. And uh, uh, where else can people find you? What, what else do you have going on? I have a new movie coming out called Faking a Murderer, which I'll send you an advanced copy so you can check it out. Oh, nice. But it's, um, it's like a true crime yeah, like uh, making of a murder like it's like a true crime movie if like i was the investigator and that's actually what it is it's a it's like a it's a it's a <laughs> it's like a really funny true crime movie if that's like if there's such a thing i've that's what it is so but i'll send uh, it to you to check out but it's coming out in august and it's called faking a murder and it's basically for all the people that like have been obsessed with the true crime genre that's exploded in the last five years uh, we've sort of taken that and turned it on its head and uh, it's a, we, we went on a pretty wild ride. Uh, so nice. that's coming in August called faking a murder. And uh, you know, where it's gonna be good or- I don't know yet. I just know that it's coming in August. Uh, I'll find out though. And then dark side of the ring, which I worked on uh, premieres May 6th on vice, the new episodes, season three, there's episodes on uh, ultimate warrior, uh, the British bulldog uh, dynamite kid, uh, Brian Pillman, uh, there's a lot of really great episodes for people who are wrestling fans. And even if you're not a wrestling fan, it's a pretty captivating show. So that's on vice TV in the States, dark side of the ring, May 6th. Awesome. Awesome. And at, at Stu stone, right? That's the, at Stu stone. that's the easiest way. I and, mean, that's what you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In the, um, yeah, I tagged you in it. And uh, in the baseball card doc is the at baseball card doc and at baseball card doc. Yeah. So, and then we've got, uh, yeah, just, you'll find me and you'll figure it out. And, uh, Let's do this again. And definitely keep me posted if you get any of your projects going. And, uh, you know, yeah, you never know. Maybe we'll be working again. I hope so. Yeah, right, me man. too. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. Best of luck with everything. And uh, uh, hodl. Always hodl. Yes. Hodl, hodl, hodl to the end. 